Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us here today AOA. We've got a lot coming on today's program. We're going to talk farm machinery with Casey Seymour of Moving Iron LLC here in just a moment. And then in segment two, Ethan Lane, Vice President of Government Affairs of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, is going to join us. We're going to talk about some new legislation designed to stop Brazilian beef imports. Then in segment three, Alan Burga, Senior Vice President of Communications at the National Milk Producers Federation, will join us. We're going to dig in deeper to that change in guidance on dairy labeling that the FDA proposed last week. We're going to get the impression of the dairy producers here with Alan in segment three. Before segment four, we're going to close with a look at these markets out there. Soybeans are taking it on the chin here as the day gets underway. We'll get Dwayne's thoughts on what's happening there in the markets. But before we dive into all of that, let's get an update on what's happening in the world of farm machinery. Casey Seymour, Moving Iron LLC, joins us now. Casey, thanks for joining us today. I appreciate you having me on, Mike. Well, we've got a busy time of year this time as growers are gearing up for spring planting. They're looking ahead to their summer work and maybe even thinking about combines here. Casey, from the world of farm machinery, are we starting to see supplies grow out there in the countryside? You know, we saw a pretty big spike up in inventory coming from January into February. And I think a lot of that was driven by what we saw as far as weather went uh, in, in January. I mean, I think pretty much everywhere in the country had a blizzard of some sort um, in January. So um, a lot of stuff was still on the, on the lots there. A lot of stuff didn't get moved. Interested to see what happens coming in from February into March, what that looks like there. But we are starting to see some some uh, segments of the, of the farm equipment uh, inventory starting to show some some signs of uh you know a few extra pieces here and there by no means is anything you know out of control at all but we are seeing some areas combines especially where we're starting to see some areas there where there are a few more combines in the marketplace than we saw this time last year all right and of course it's not the combine season it might be uh, off the radar for some folks casey have prices dropped enough that if producers are looking at a combine this year maybe it's time to strike um, I, you know, I would say that we're maybe a little bit, but it, it's there again. It's still not enough that I would say is, is a big move anywhere in the market at all. Okay. Gotcha. So we'll continue to watch that develop. You know, as you mentioned, more availability out there in the countryside. That's really good news. I was down at the National Farm Machinery Show in Louisville and Casey, the conversation with exhibitors was that farmers were there to spend. Are you hearing that from, from your folks across the country? Yeah, everyone I've talked to, they've said the same thing. You know, like I talked about that spike coming into uh, from January to February, a lot of folks had have are having some record um, Februarys right now getting stuff sold. So I don't suspect to see that same level of inventory out there that we saw um, coming in there. But people they're spending money. I mean, and it's everything from brand new combines to you know grain carts. I mean, it's everything in between. So it, there's no no one thing that's uh, any hotter than the next. Well, with that being said, we're coming up on planting. We're going to be using those four-wheel drives, those high-horsepower sure. tractors. Casey, what are you seeing for price trends in that segment? You know, the high-horsepower tractor side, if you were to take like a like a 350-horsepower a um, style um, row crop tractor, they're still as strong as they were. And, and a lot of manufacturers still having some issues, you know, getting stuff um, out uh, and timely and, and getting things still running into a few um backlogs there of, of stuff and we're just getting stuff delivered you know from what we had that was supposed to get delivered um six months ago so we're still kind of fighting through that a little bit um trend wise you know it's nothing prices aren't going up but they're not going down either um we're starting to see uh, a few more real crop tractors pop up here and there four-wheel drive tractors same way starting to see a few of those but you know it's a funny story mike you know I talked to a guy the other day and he was a little bit of a panic because he had some machines out there that nobody bought. And I was like, well, how long did it take you? Like, how long have you had them? He's like, well, I've had them for about a month. And, you know, typical farm equipment, a month's not a big deal. But when you're used to selling everything before it even gets back to the dealership, that point of reference changes a little bit. And I think we see some people um, saying that the sky's falling, and but it's not really falling. It's just kind of going back to a normal pattern. 
Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And Casey, it's got me thinking about another, maybe a longer term trend that's shifting here in the machinery business for dealers in particular. With lower yeah. inventory, are the dealers you work with planning to spend more time focusing on that precision ag, perhaps the, the IT uh, autonomy type issues going forward? Um, I think that's going to be a bigger part of it. I've talked about it several times on my podcast. You know, we've, we've talked about you know, the, the bolt on technology and what does that look like? And we're starting to see that in planners. I mean, planners is a good example of that, where you have every manufacturer of planner right now has a way to take an old planner and make it new again. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that and how that affects the overall marketplace is going to be based around, in my opinion, um, what is your machine um, upgradable to and how much, um, how much leeway do you have when it starts, when you start looking at the technology you can bolt on there. I think that's going to have a big, splash in the marketplace as, as far as how people buy equipment and look at equipment. Absolutely. Finding ways to add some more value to that very high dollar piece of equipment you're bringing onto your farm. I did want to ask, because these are some high dollar pieces of equipment, Casey, have you heard any slowdowns as a result of rising interest rates as of yet, or are most buyers shrugging those off? You know, I think a lot of, there's a lot of on-farm income out there right now. And the, uh, the fleet right now is the oldest it's ever been. And it's getting updated slowly but surely. Um, had about a seven-year drought. There were a lot of stuff was just kind of piecemeal together during, you know, 2014 through 2018, 2019. And uh, we're starting to see that kind of come around. So people are still looking to update stuff, um, still looking to update what they're doing. And then look at the payment structures now more than ever. And you know, I think leasing could have an option to start kind of making its way back into the conversation. Um, but still, you're still looking at some relatively high interest rates. But again, looking at that payment structure and how's that fit into your operation. Casey, you said something fascinating there. You said we had the oldest machinery fleet in history. Was that heading into 2020? Yeah, heading into 2020, I think the average age of a of a combine was like five or six years old. And the average age of a tractor was like five to seven years old. And this last report I saw come out not too long ago, that had moved maybe a year or two down. So we're still looking at some relatively old machinery out there running around that is going to that people are wanting to update. They certainly are, Casey. And of course, in your conversation <laughs> with dealers across the country, are they having better luck getting suppliers from their manufacturers? Are the big machinery companies getting more up to speed with their labor and supply chain issues? Yeah, I'm starting to see that a lot where there's not as bad of, I mean, it's not gumdrops or candy canes by any means, but it's, it's way better than it was. And we're starting to see things kind of point in that direction where moving things through, you know, whether we're talking deer, CNH or Agco, whoever, they all still have their stumbling blocks in there somewhere, but things are better than they were this time last year. All right. We're making progress. The inventory is returning to dealership lots. The industry is starting to return to normal. Casey, of course, at Moving Iron, you track all of these issues for both machinery dealers and large buyers. Can you tell our, our listeners where they can go to learn more about the work you do at Moving Iron? Yeah, you can check me out on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Moving Iron LLC. Go to LinkedIn at Moving Iron Podcast and check me out on YouTube at the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel. Go to movingironllc.com and you can see all the blog posts I have out there as well. Fantastic, folks. Check that out. Keep up to speed on what's happening here in the world of farm machinery. We've been speaking with Casey Seymour of Moving Iron LLC. And Casey, thanks for joining us today. I appreciate it, Mike. Folks, stay with us. We'll talk about the future of Brazilian beef imports here with our friend Ethan Lane from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Stay here for more AOA when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Joining us now is Matt Souter. He's the director of global agronomy for the Mosaic Company. And Matt, we've seen a lot of interest in biologicals. Can you tell us a little bit about how Mosaic is looking to be a leader in this category? Mosaic has uh, long been the leader in balanced crop nutrition. And what we look to see is a movement towards advanced crop nutrition, where we can improve nutrient use efficiency and other crop dynamics through the use of things like biological products. Mosaic is releasing two new biological products. Could you tell us a little bit about them? That's correct. Biopath and Powercoat are both live bacillus species bacterial products. Biopath is a water-based liquid formulation that's applied through UAN or liquid fertilizers. 
And PowerCoat is actually an oil-based product that's used to impregnate dry fertilizers. So both are significantly tested and proven as products in the field, and they do provide improvements in nutrient use efficiency. Now, the Mosaic Company, of course, is a fertilizer company. Matt, could you talk a little bit about the relationship between fertilizers and biologicals? Well, well, the fact is that, that fertilizers specifically in any given year often only have 20 to 60% of the fertilizer taken up in that same year. And this is, this is not specific to a single fertilizer, it's across the spectrum. So what we're trying to do is use biology and use native species from the soil to actually improve the nutrient use efficiency by improving availability, by improving uptake and enabling utilization of those nutrients that were previously maybe less available. We've seen them out in the market for several years, but there is still some doubt in farm country about their efficacy. Can you talk a little bit about what Mosaic brings to the table and why you're standing behind these biologicals? We have a, a sound body of evidence behind it. So our testing program has shown that we have a consistent uh, five and a half bushel response with Biopath in products year to date where we get a response. It also shows that we have a significant improvement in yield from power coat when we apply that through impregnated fertilizer up to six bushels per acre. That's Matt Souter, Director of Global Agronomy at the Mosaic Company. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner too. Through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. We're talking now with Ethan Lane. He's the Vice President of Government Affairs at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And Ethan, we're going to talk about how the global beef trade has been oh, hit again, this time by a reported case of bovine spongiform encephalopathy in Brazil. Ethan, this case of BSE was reported last Wednesday, but do we know when it happened in Brazil? Well, we do now. We didn't right away, but it, it sounds like this, this case popped up in January. I believe January 19th uh, was the date the case actually occurred uh, in the state of Para uh, in, in Brazil, and uh, it took them 35 days to report this BSE case. And that's important because every other country in the world uh, reports these cases within a matter of hours. There were two cases along the same time as the Brazilian case. Both, All of these are atypical. Um, one went in the Netherlands, another in Spain, and those cases in the Netherlands and Spain were reported in a timely fashion. I think the Netherlands in 24 hours, Spain and within the span of a couple of days. Um, but Brazil has a bad habit of waiting more than a month or longer every time they have one of these cases. And this is just the latest instance of that. Yes, that is true. You did mention this is an atypical BSE case. Ethan, how is atypical different than conventional BSE? So classical BSE is the one we worry about. That's the one that can spread. That's the one that can that can really impact commerce. That's the one that impacted us back in 2003. Uh, uh, atypical BSE is, is spontaneously occurring. It a, long, a lot of times occurs in older cattle. Um, it's not a threat to the herd, but reporting them in a timely way is how we demonstrate that the system works. It's how we demonstrate that there's a central competent authority in these countries that can handle something like this and get the information out uh, so that we don't have a problem if we do have a, a case uh, that could threaten the herd at some point down the line. And of course, once these do get reported, it allows for trading partners to change the way they do business with you. Once that BSE case was announced in Brazil, Ethan, as I understand it, China said they're done importing meat from Brazil. Is that accurate? 
Well, they have an agreement in place between China and Brazil, and 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 Brazil's uh, Brazil is China's largest supplier of beef, where they suspend uh, trading for a couple weeks whenever there is an atypical case like this, kind of a cooling off period. Um, we don't have that same arrangement with Brazil. Um, they have negligible risk status, according to the World Organization for Animal Health. So an atypical case is not grounds to suspend trade on its own. Um, China has kind of an additional layer with their agreement with Brazil where that's what happens. Um, and it has happened again in this case. Um, but but by and large, these atypical cases don't result in a, in a trade disruption uh, as long as everyone is playing by the rules. Well, that's the thing. You've got to be playing by the rules. And in order to stay negligible risk, we have to ensure that that's still the case. Ethan, while we're talking BSE, my brain also goes to FMD, foot mouth disease, down in Brazil. How much of a concern is that in that country still? Well, you know, they, they have kind of started declaring themselves FMD free and they've stopped vaccinating for FDA and uh, FD, uh, foot and mouth disease in, in some uh, some parts of the country. And that's certainly concerning as well. Uh, this isn't one of those things where you declare yourself free of FMD, right? There are international bodies that do that uh, as, as part of their oversight mission uh, to make sure that everybody's in a good spot. Um, but, you know, it, it, it calls into question all of those different components of, of how uh, exports are occurring out of Brazil just when you see this sort of uh, lack of uh, either ability or, or 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 desire to comply with those reporting requirements. Well, and so now I understand that in Congress there is perhaps some legislation that could stop that Brazilian beef imports. Uh, John Tester of Montana, Mike Rounds of South Dakota have introduced this legislation. Ethan, NCBA supports. Can you tell us how this would change the import regime from Brazil? Yeah, th this this goes back to the the, the last big outbreak uh, of these these uh, late reports back in 2021 from Brazil. We worked with Senator Tester's office extensively on this legislation. Um, it would essentially force USDA's hand in taking some action here. Um, our our request to shut down Brazil's access to the United States uh, repeatedly over the last several years have been uh, have been largely ignored by USDA to this point. Um, and and uh, Senator Tester's bill would seek to essentially force that issue with USDA uh, and force a review of their central competent authority and their processes and audit of their reporting ability in, in Brazil. Um, we believe that's an important step in this process. We also believe that Brazil should have to demonstrate a history of complying with these same protocols uh, before they should they, they could regain access to the United States. It's just not worth the risk. It's not worth the risk. And it's interesting on this rounds tester bill, Ethan, as I understand it, all of the major cattle organizations, RCAF, USCA, and of course, NCBA are in support of this particular legislation. Have you heard from any outspoken uh, opposition to it? I, I, I made this comment earlier today on another call. I can't imagine a cattle producer anywhere in the country that, that doesn't think this is serious um, and, and that doesn't agree that, that USDA needs to take action here. Absolutely. So uh, have you heard in Capitol Hill, does this bill have much of a chance and can it happen quickly in this congressional cycle? You know, I, I, I worry about anything happening quickly in this congressional cycle. Um, certainly, uh, it was available last Congress as well, and, and we didn't see much movement on it. We're going to be engaging Capitol Hill on this, um, educating lawmakers and helping them to understand why this is so important. But I would also just remind uh, everyone that that this bill isn't necessary if USDA just uses the authority they have to take action here. Uh, we don't need we don't need Congress if USDA just just steps up and 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 takes action to restrict those imports based on uh, these this this clear pattern of failing to report. If the USDA were to unilaterally suspend or substantially reduce beef imports, would that open up a WTO case or or some kind of of extrajudicial negotiation we'd have to get into? Well, I think that's part of the concern probably is do is there a strong enough case to to bar Brazil's access? Uh, it, for me, it's pretty black and white and and that's what's a, a little bit uh, it's not a little bit frustrating. It's incredibly frustrating. Um, there's a demonstrated history of failure to comply. and everyone else in the world is following these rules. Everyone else in the world is reporting these atypical cases in a timely manner. Uh, at the 10-year mark here, 10 years of failing to report a single case in a timely manner, uh, if that's not a demonstrable case for shutting down access, I don't know what one looks like. Uh, this just seems like a no-brainer uh, for, for USDA to, to take this action and ensure that they're protecting cattle producers in the United States. Ethan, have we heard anything from USDA as to why they haven't taken this action quite yet? 
So in the last round, Secretary Vilsack essentially said that the industry uh, didn't understand what they were asking for, and he went into a description of the difference between atypical and classical BSE. We understand the difference between the two. We understand that atypical BSE is not a threat to the herd. What's, what's threatening here is their, is their process, their failure to report in a timely manner. If that's an inability, that's concerning. If it's, if it's an unwillingness, that's concerning too. Either way, it's unacceptable. Uh, and, and because of that, we believe they should shut their access down immediately um, and, and start this process. Ethan, if we've got listeners in the cattle industry or even just connected to it who believe in suspending beef imports from Brazil, is there a place we can engage with the USDA to share our perspective? Um, I, I, I think first and foremost, call your members of Congress, make sure they know that you feel strongly about this, put this on their radars. Um, but I also, you know, obviously, um, that's going to amp up pressure on USDA. If they're starting to hear about this from Capitol Hill, if they're hearing about this from members, um, that, that helps grow that call from the countryside that this is long past time to do something here. All right, folks, you heard it. If this is something you are keeping on your radar, get in touch with your elected officials. That rounds tester bill percolating there in Congress. We've got to get that pressure on USDA if this is something that's important to you. Ethan, well, it's not just BSE in Washington, D.C. There's a lot of other legislation floating out there. This year, is there anything that the cattle industry needs to be aware of that you're watching? Oh, obviously, we're keeping an eye on uh, the whole suite of farm bill discussions that are happening up on Capitol Hill. You know, we're at a critical point in that process talking about how much money is really available here, what inflation has done to that landscape, and how we make sure we keep these voluntary conservation programs um, funded at a level where they're doing the work that they need to do on the ground, how we make sure that there's disaster assistance available, risk management tools available for producers, how we make sure there's funding avail available for that FMD uh, vaccine bank, that, that, that uh, zoonotic disease vaccine bank um, that was created in the last farm bill. Um, you know, that is that is an important first line of defense, going back to our earlier conversation, when we do have a disease outbreak in this country. Um, so making sure those priorities stay front and center in this process uh, is, is definitely going to be top of mind uh, for NCBA moving through the next few months as, as we uh, as we start to see what this bill looks like as it takes shape. Um, and, and that's going to probably be um, kind of the biggest ag item, I would think, on everybody's agenda this year. It is. Are you hearing any outspoken opponents to any of the farm bill work NCBA is pushing for? Oh, I, I think this is going to be a tough farm bill season. I, you know, I, I think there are some uh, some folks looking at the price tag, you know, and it, what was an 800 plus billion dollar bill last time is going to be at least 1.1 trillion uh, just to keep up with inflation in this in this latest round. Uh, that has a lot of folks, uh, particularly some of those more fiscally conservative Republicans looking at this and asking whether or not this is a good investment. Um, there are some newly minted members of Congress that, that have just flat said they're not going to vote for a farm bill. Um, so, you know, that's a concern for us. We want to make sure we educate on that front and help them understand that um, while there is a big nutrition spend that doesn't seem like it helps rural America, there's a lot of important money in there and, and assistance and programs for producers around the country uh, that are vital. That's so true, folks. We've been talking with Ethan Lane, Vice President of Government Affairs at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Stay with us. More AOA coming up next. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. As a farmer, I want a cooperative that's there for me. Not the other way around. A local co-op that works for me and works with CHS. To connect me with local experts I know and trust. And put a global network of markets and supply at my fingertips. A co-op that's here to help us. Own every day. When you're an owner of a local cooperative connected to CHS, you get local expertise, a proven efficient supply chain, and global market access. Learn more at cooperativeownership.com. Are you heading to Commodity Classic in Orlando? Stop by the Trelleborg booth and see me, Mike Pearson, for some exciting live radio and learn about the new HF1000 steel belted tire and features that minimize soil compaction. Get a cup of coffee at the Barista Bar, and I'll be broadcasting my show live from Trelleborg booth 1423 from 10 to 11 a.m. on Thursday and Friday from the Commodity Classic showroom floor. That's Trelleborg booth 1423 from 10 to 11 a.m. We'll see you in Orlando. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. 
As we look at the market trade action on Tuesday, pressure in soybeans and bean meal, heavy pressure being seen there, while corded wheat trading just uh, right around unchanged, a couple of cents below it in our trade action on Thursday. Really, though, this soybean complex is the one we're keeping an eye on. Maybe we finally ran out of steam here in this soy complex, uh, pressured by Brazil's soybean harvest progress and maybe just some uh, technical moves here in this market. And one thing to keep in mind is that wheat and corn have been pummeled here as we've uh, been through the last couple of days, creating a lot of technical damage. And maybe it is the soy complex's turn, maybe turning this quarter here, the bullish stalwarts of the uh, trade recently. May beans plunged through the 50-day moving average with the last close below this benchmark occurring back in mid-November. May soy meal now trading just below the 20-day moving average with a break and close below that level, likely leading to additional long liquidation as well. So. A lot of things to keep our eyes on here in this soy complex as we work through Tuesday's session with uh, wheat feeling the weight of flowing Black Sea exports and competitive global prices with some increased precipitation in the U.S. plains as of late as well. A lot of chart damage done in wheat and corn kind of following this wheat market to the downside. Now, meantime, over in livestock, mostly quiet mixed trade there on Tuesday, really not moving one way or another in cattle and hogs. February live cattle goes off the board on Tuesday, trading up uh, around 165.80 here as we work through the session. So looking to go off the board. At a pretty lofty price level, we'll keep our eyes on that. Hogs, uh, more just consolidation, it appears, there in the hog market as we work through Tuesday's session. Crude oil up a little over 1%. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. And your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. <laughs> Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Well, folks, an issue that the dairy industry has been grappling with for years is the flood of products using their terminology that have no connection at all to an animal. And they have asked the, the FDA to weigh in on whether these plant-based juices, milk substitute products, can call themselves milk. And after a very long time, FDA this past week issued some guidance. Joining us now to help understand this guidance in a little bit better way is Alan Bjork. He's the vice president, the senior vice president of communications at the National Milk Producers Federation. And Alan, thanks for joining us today. Hello. Let's talk about this FDA this FDA guidance. We should be sure to clarify here. Alan, last week they made a ruling and seems as though they kind of split the baby. Can you tell us what FDA decided as far as products using dairy terminology? This is really something where you have to keep your eye on the ball because interpretations of this guidance has been all over the map. Um, and it's important to understand what this does and what it doesn't do, and also how it changes the world from how it was before the guidance came out. So the big headline is question, of course, is are these beverages going to be allowed to call themselves milk? And the, the FDA said, yes, they can call themselves milk. And, and for a lot of folks, they just sort of stopped there. Said, ah, they can use the word milk. Okay, big dairy has had a loss. This is the win of the almond and, and oat people. But that's not really what's going on here because you have to look at the details of what this guidance is saying. 
along with saying that these are are, are commonly used, um, long-established terms that are understood by the general public, which, by the way, we don't agree with, but that's what FDA is saying, they also did something that's incredibly important, and it's going to be very important with our efforts going forward, which is they said that they understand that the, the issue in the marketplace of consumers being confused over the nutritional content of these beverages is real. And because of that, the plant-based beverage makers have to do something about this. This is critical. FDA has not been saying this in the past, and it is the key argument we have been making in favor of labeling integrity for consumers. So you have to take a look at that and now see what the rest of FDA is doing and how this plays out in the marketplace. So, so FDA says, all right, call yourselves milk, but you need to disclose on your packaging front of label that if you have differences in nutritional content, you need to put it onto your package. So in other words, let's say that you're an almond-based beverage and you have not as much protein as, as dairy milk, which, by the way, almond beverages tend to have about one-eighth to one-quarter as much protein. You now have to put onto your labeling, we ha you know, this beverage has you know, 50% less protein or 75% less protein. Same with other essential nutrients that dairy provides. So, so now put yourself into the, the place of a, of a beverage manufacturer, um, and, and you're putting these things out onto the marketplace, and you're putting out your packaging, and you have FDA guidance. This guidance, by the way, is not binding, okay? This isn't, this isn't a hard and fast rule where they're going to come down and put sanctions on you if you don't do this. That so, said, Alan, real so quick then, be, because this is guidance, and it's not a regulatory action, it's not a law, what happens if if me, Mike, almond milk producer, just goes ahead and keeps selling my stuff the way it is? Well, to, to finish my thought, what happens is you you end up not necessarily you know getting in specific explicit trouble, but these companies have a lot of issues before the FDA. They don't want to get on FDA's bad side. So when they see this guidance come out, they tend to respect it. You know, it just causes less trouble. So if you're a manufacturer and you have a choice whether to call it you know oat milk um, and then list all of your nutritional inferiorities, of which there are many. Or you could just call it a beverage or a drink and call it a day. What would you do? In most countries in the world, they just call it a drink or a beverage, and the consumers seem to still be able to buy the stuff. And, and what this is going to end up doing in the marketplace is go back. Remember, is the world better for consumers and, and dairy producers now than it was two weeks ago? Clearly it is, because these terms, these dairy terms were on, the beverage, on these beverage packages anyway, okay? And there was no enforcement, and there was a Wild West atmosphere. FDA's guidance isn't binding. It, it, it doesn't go as far as what we want to do, and there are lots of other things we can now do on this issue. But what FDA has done is they have accepted our core argument. And with that, we can now take this to its logical conclusion. If you really want to clear up this consumer confusion, get the dairy term off altogether. Meanwhile, these companies have a pretty strong disincentive not to use these dairy terms. And I would expect over the next few months, we're going to have a better environment for consumers. And that's been our goal all along. Absolutely. Making sure that nutritional guidance is top of mind so people see the value that real dairy products bring out here for their consumers. Alan, again, I'm coming back on, on the guidance thing, and I think that was a great explanation. The companies are going to try to avoid the, the pain by getting this changed. I'm wondering, though, from an administration's perspective, will leadership at the FDA, could that change this guidance, or is this set in stone now for the foreseeable future? Well, you know, for better and for worse, guidance is what guidance is. There's a 60-day comment period. FDA could still change this before it becomes final. Becomes final. Um, there's going to be a comment period on it. We're going to have a call to action on our website, nmpf.org, in, in the next few days, where people can write FDA and, and, and use some of the arguments that have been generated to show that nutritional confusion is a problem, and if anything, they should go further. So that's one part of it. The second part is what's called the Dairy Pride Act. And, and this is the legislation that members of Congress have been introducing in Congress to, to make FDA do its job and enforce its standard of identity, which, by the way, the root standard still defines milk as an animal product. And regardless of this guidance, FDA can't ignore that. 
Dairy pride actually becomes more compelling in this context because FDA is sort of showing its cards. They're saying, this is as far as we're going to go. And by the way, it's a win for us, but it's not the true victory for consumers that we need. So now you go to Congress, and if Congress can pass the Dairy Pride Act, they can, they can fix this problem once and for all. And frankly, if you're FDA, that would make your life sooner, easier as well. You know, you've been trying to arbitrage among all these different interests with all their money and their lobbying and all that stuff for many years now. It would be, it would be a very logical time at this point for Congress, having seen where sentiment is going on this, to step in and say, okay, we're going to solve this. Here's the standard of identity. FDA, here's what you're going to do. And has the Dairy Pride Act been introduced in this current 118th Congress yet, Alan, or are we expecting it to come out soon? We're, we're, we're expecting it within days. Um, you know, a lot of folks were waiting to see what FDA would do. They, they, you have to take a look at the details of what the guidance says, and then you kind of take a look at your legislation and see how you can be most effective. I would expect we'll be seeing the Dairy Pride Act soon. I would expect that we would see a stronger push forth than we've seen in many years, in part because FDA has now shown its hand on, on what it's willing to do or not are not willing to do. Um, and we're going to be working hard on this. You know, it's, it's a two-pronged front. Right now, there's this guidance. We want to make the guidance as strong as possible, but we also have dairy pride, and we need to make that effort as strong as possible. So and when I was looking at media coverage of this issue, the one thing that made me smile were any articles that were saying, this could be the resolution to the issue. Folks, this has just started, and it is full speed ahead. It has just started, which is hard to believe after 10, 15, 20 years of having these negotiations to finally have the FD come out, FDA come out and at least put a line in the sand is certainly good news. Alan, you mentioned the comment period is opening. You'll have that call to action. As you think about NMPF members across the country, what is the message that you'd like them to take to the USDA during this comment period? The message is FDA hasn't gone far enough. Um, we appreciate that they are taking this issue seriously and that they have accepted the argument we have been making for years about consumer confusion over nutritional content. You know, let's not underestimate or, or play down, you know, the fact that FDA took this step. But we also have to know that this doesn't fix the problem. We need to go further. We need to get these terms off of the labels altogether. And anything that FDA does to get us toward that goal is something that the dairy community and the consumer community can support. Alan, the dairy industry has been promoting the nutritional advantages of dairy versus these other various juices and beverages for years. Is it sinking in with consumers? Can we tell? Are they respecting the amount of nutrition and, and benefits that come with true dairy? So it's interesting when you take a look at uh, the plant-based beverages, you know, which got a lot of coverage as the next big thing, and they get venture capital from Silicon Valley, blah, blah, blah. Consumers are, are, are waking up to it. If you take a look at consumer data, um, consumer consumption, the volume of consumption of plant-based beverages fell in 2022. If anybody says that these beverages are on the rise, that is an out-of-date perception. The sales are down. And the categories within it that you see going up, like oats are still up, it's now coming at the expense of you know, other beverages that people tried, and they went, blah, and now they're going to try another one, and they'll probably do the same thing. It, it, they're, they're cannibalizing their own market share. You know, We're seeing this with the fake meat as well. There's, there's a ceiling to the size of this audience because there's people who are going to stick with the tried-and-true nutritional benefits of dairy. There are people who are going to try some other things, and, and that's always going to be there. It's a diverse beverage marketplace. If they called themselves beverages or drinks, we probably wouldn't even be talking about this. You know, it's the taking of dairy, dairy terms that have actually forced this discussion. But when you get right down to it, people come back to quality, and they come back to affordability, and they come back to what serves them well. And that's still true dairy. Um, Plant-based beverages aren't going to go away, but th there are signs that we've reached a peak, and, and part of that is consumers discovering exactly what it is and what it isn't. That is so true. Folks, we've been talking here today with Alan Bjorga of the National Milk Producers Federation. And Alan, this is a complex topic. You've written about it on the website. Where can folks go to learn more? NMPF.org. Uh, we'll talk your ear off. <laughs> Check that out, folks. NMPF.org. Read up to speed. Keep an eye in those grocery store shelves. And let's see if this packaging on these alternative milk products starts to change. Alan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. And folks, stay with us. When we return, we'll dig in to the drop in the soybean market here with our friend Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing.
Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Hey, Dad, your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad, your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey, why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Pride. It runs deep for those in agriculture. But that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to Farm Rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. Today, we're talking with Lance Kennington, PhD animal nutritionist with CHS. Lance, what advice would you give to ranchers who are looking to improve their mineral nutrition program? Yeah, so every operation in the United States is deficient in minerals or something. And so the first thing to do is have your forages tested for trace mineral content and also their macro mineral content. You'll also uh, want to test for antagonists like sulfur, iron, and molybdenum that can interfere with the absorption and utilization of some minerals. So we need to know where we stand with those on every operation to make the proper mineral program. The second, uh, we'll want to test your water as it can also contain antagonists to minerals which interfere with their absorption. Uh, they also tell us the hardness and salinity in the water. If you have moderate levels of salt in your water and high salt content in your mineral, you won't get a consistent intake of your mineral. The cows won't want to eat, and we need to get it in them to get it to do the good that it needs. We are also faced with a very high uh, sulfur content in our water, and sulfur is always a big problem with mineral nutrition. So we need to know if we have a problem with sulfur in the water to help tailor a, a program that fits that particular operation. Third, you need to make sure you keep mineral in front of them all the time and that you accurately monitor their intake so adjust, adjustments can be made. And if the cows aren't eating it, then the mineral program isn't doing you any good. So, you know, the most important message is feed the right mineral at the right time in the right amount. That is the key, folks. We've been talking with Lance Kennington, PhD, animal nutritionist with CHS. And Lance, thanks for joining us this week. Thank you. And folks, thank you for joining us here around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. 
Biopath and Powerco plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Powerco corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues today, and now we're turning our focus to the commodity markets. A lot of red on the screen, notably in the soybean trade, also in the corn market. Hard red winter wheat still trying to find a little bit of a positive news for the day. Joining us to bring us up to speed on these issues is Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing up in Britain, South Dakota. Dwayne, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, no, thanks for having me, Mike. We got to start first and foremost here with the soybean markets. Dwayne, March, May, both uh, sub, well, gosh, 24, 28 cents down, sub $15. Dwayne, what's happening here in the soybean market? Well, we have a, more deliveries on the soybean March soybean contract than expected, 411 this morning. That kind of started the selling pressure. And then, of course, we broke an upward trend line, so that increased the technical selling pressure on it. That Mixed with end-of-the-month harvest selling from Brazilian farmers. Remember, as they harvest, they're actually selling on our board more and more. So that's selling all kind of came together for one ugly trade today. Yeah, like you said, down hard, breaking some support. Uh, we're all just kind of watching it to see where the low comes in. But this feels like one of these days where this just kind of snowballs and we're down 35 cents by midday or something like that. Yeah, that's certainly how it's shaping up so far this morning. Dwayne, you mentioned the deliveries against the March contract. We've just moved into delivery. For listeners who are outside the world of commodity markets, what is that number? 411 deliveries. What does that tell you? How is the market reading that information? Yeah, there's 411 contracts. So, of course, every contract is 5,000 bushels. And there's quite the process when you go into deliveries. You know, some end users have said, no, yeah, we'll deliver on that. And some other end users saying, you know, we'll take that. Now, what we'll do is tomorrow to find out who will really take those or if they'll retender those deliveries and, and are the sellers you know, what we would call hard stops? Or are they going to put the tenders back out there? Now, that probably all sounds kind of confusing. And, and I can just tell you, yeah, you don't have to be an expert at it just to know that a lot of deliveries means that the prices are probably too high. And therefore, the market goes down. That's really, if I was going to sum up the delivery process, that's what you need to know. And if there's no deliveries, then the price is too low. Kind of like uh, February live cattle, we haven't had many deliveries at all. So the price might be a little bit too low and that market tends to go higher into expiration then. All right. Well, with that being the case, Dwayne, what are we watching here on basis in that old crop corn market? Yeah, basis has deteriorated a little bit in the old crop corn market. I was really impressed with the amount of farmer selling we had early January, which I, I look back now and kind of go, why was I surprised? These are very good prices. Uh, farmers kind of waited till January for probably tax purposes mostly. Many farmers had very good years last year. So when we got in January, those bend doors opened up and the lines at the elevators got really long. That's why this basis has softened up a little bit. But, you know, we, we got to go back and remember our old crop stocks are still 833 million bushels less than they were a year ago. That's the last quarterly stocks report we had. So we're still in a tight situation. This basis, especially if we have any weather problems with the new crop, could improve dramatically in the spring and summer. But <laughs> like a horrible broker, I put that if statement in there, didn't I? Well, it's got to have that if statement. That's the way these markets work, <laughs> Dwayne. And I'm curious, you mentioned we've seen the soybean market move across that technical cliff, accelerating some downside selling. What are you watching for uh, support levels in the corn market, old crop corn? Oh, old crop corn, uh, it, basically almost right where we're at, around the 635 in May. We're currently at 638. That's kind of, I guess, what you could call the harvest low. That happened early December. You know, some of us, including myself, called the harvest lows way back in July, but that really wasn't harvest season. So, yeah, 635 is a pretty key area. And just watching the trade action today, Mike, I, I think corn and wheat both want to come off the lows and, and trade a little bit higher. But this bean market being down so hard just, just pulls these other markets down as well. 
And it's kind of quicksand, sucks all the commodities down. Dwayne, back on the soybean side here, technically, what are you watching now for support levels that we've punched through those uh, prior ones? Yeah, really, probably the same deal. You know, it, back at late January, we hit a low of 14.75, another 10 cents lower from here in the May contract. That's kind of the first support area I'm looking at. And also, there's the what is it? The 100-day moving average is at 14.75. I really want to see both those levels hold somewhere in that area and it bounce back. I, I'm hoping tomorrow we flip the calendar to March and we can see some green on the screen. Yeah, that's true. New month, whole new start shooting match there in the commodity markets. The wheat market, Dwayne, holding up today. You mentioned trying to come off those lows, seeing a little bit of pop here. Well, I guess it's in the March spring wheat in expiration, but we're seeing this market try. Is there any headlines out there that can help support wheat? Well, yeah. I mean, we're putting U.S. and Europe are putting sanctions on Russian banks, which eventually should actually hurt their export because it might hurt their borrowing power. But, uh, you know, that is a longer term trade. And of course, you know, just the Black Sea corridor, is it open, isn't it? And more importantly, longer term, Ukraine, even though they exported a lot of grain this last year, getting the new crop planted this year uh, with $30 diesel fuel and obviously a war going on is a real big mountain to climb. So I, I think the Ukraine war, that story is far from over. And actually, the production problems due to that war is really going to show up at the end of this year versus last year. So, yeah, there's bullish headlines out there, but they, you notice I keep talking, they're, they're so far out. So first thing we need to do is just run out of sellers here. And I think we probably do that today in the wheat market. I mean, we've collapsed about a dollar in about 10 trading sessions in Chicago. So we're very oversold. We should run out of sellers. And then you'll see some bottom pickers like myself come in and buy this market. And as you look to pick a bottom here, Dwayne, which wheat contract, which wheat class rather, are you looking to pick a bottom in? What has the most potential? Oh, it's definitely spring wheat for me. Uh, we're at uh, severely low uh, on our supplies, you know, more than a 15-year low for spring wheat supplies. And when I look out my window today, Mike, I see a whole lot of snow with another snowstorm coming tonight. I know it's early, but when I look at the extended forecast, I also don't see warmer temps for North Dakota either. So the thawing process of this massive snowpack we have is kind of you could say if the extended forecast holds, is already behind, even though I know it's February 28th. So to me, we need to buy some spring wheat acres. So it's definitely a spring wheat complex I'm looking at. All right. We'll see how spring unveils itself in the northern Great Plains. We've been talking to Dwayne Bussey of Bolt Marketing. Dwayne, as always, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Mike. And folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll talk markets with Mike Zuzlo. Dig into some of the other issues impacting the world of agriculture. Have a great day, everybody. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Are you heading to Commodity Classic in Orlando? Stop by the Trelleborg booth and see me, Mike Pearson, for some exciting live radio and learn about the new HF1000 steel belted tire and features that minimize soil compaction. Get a cup of coffee at the Barista Bar and I'll be broadcasting my show live from Trelleborg booth 1423 from 10 to 11 a.m. on Thursday and Friday from the Commodity Classic showroom floor. That's Trelleborg booth 1423 from 10 to 11 a.m. We'll see you in Orlando. Welcome to the 2023 Corn Sprint. Corn is in the blocks and ready to run. Biopath and Power Coat plants with a strong start to take the lead. Fueled by Mosaic Biological Fertilizer Complements for maximum performance and better nutrient uptake. We're seeing a strong return on fertilizer investment in this sprint. Biopath and Power Coat corn just continue to grow ahead. Improve your corn's nutrient use with Mosaic Biologicals. For corn that stays on track in the sprint, start training at cornsprint.com. Vision loss is not something that you feel until it happens. Most people lose their vision from diseases like macular degeneration and glaucoma, not at birth. With macular degeneration, you lose your central vision. You have a blind spot right in the center of your face, so I can't actually see your face. So even that little circle in which I could see became a big blur. I was 65 when I first was diagnosed with glaucoma. There were no symptoms. I had no headaches. Three million Americans have glaucoma, and half don't even know it. 11 million people in the United States have macular degeneration. You lose mobility, independence, changes your entire life. 
So many eye disorders can be treated if caught early. My husband tells me that I have beautiful brown eyes, and I don't want to lose that. Make a plan today to get your eyes checked. Visit brightfocus.org to learn more.